0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands Podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This week, I was joined by Justin Gaultier. And this episode was impossible to keep within 30 minutes. So appreciate everyone's patience with the length. I promise once you get in there and you hear him, you'll understand why this took so long. This is probably the least I've spoken on a podcast, and it's one of our longer podcasts. I think that's probably good for our listeners. Justin has been in the oil and gas industry since 2004. He started out as a roughneck in the industry. He talks about that. He talks about how he launched his podcast, Wicked Energy with JG, the origin story of that. We get right into that. Then we get into Justin's journey from Canada to the U.S., how he went from being a roughneck to a fluid engineer to a BD leader and a podcast host. on one of the first oil and gas podcast networks. How and why oil and gas began embracing social media and content. How his viral Christmas video opened people's eyes to the power of social media. Our shared appreciation for Gary Vee. Talk a little bit about NFTs and how some influencers got sideways with pushing products they didn't understand. We get into what engineering and construction can learn from oil and gas's rebrand. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Also, how you can use that brand to attract talent. We ask the question, are kids really lazy? And then lastly, he truly has the most unique answer for a routine. His morning affirmation, which you'll have to tune into the end to listen to, as I said, the most unique answer we've had, something that I'm going to try and incorporate into my routine. I hope you all enjoy the episode. Justin is fantastic. Check him out on social media. We'll put all that stuff in the in the show links. Check out his podcast and uh, hope you enjoy our conversation. Justin, thrilled to have you on here. Been a fan of your content for a while now. I think I came across you... A couple years ago on LinkedIn, or maybe it was a year and a half or so ago, and you were consistently posting, I was interested in your content, like your style, like your energy. And then I don't know how long ago it was, but fairly recently, you set off on your own and then you launched this uh, phenomenal podcast, especially if you're in the industry space. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why you started your podcast, how that whole thing came about, then we'll get into your story a little bit from there.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Matt, and I really appreciate you having me on. I'm always humble when people reach out and want me to be on their podcast or say, "Hey, can I bounce some ideas off you?" Because I don't ever like drawing attention to myself, as oddly as that sounds, creating content. But you've done your research, you're asking some questions, and unless you've dove into stuff that I've been on or the podcast that I have, you wouldn't necessarily know. But uh, but again, super humble to be here. I hope I can create some value for your audience. To answer your question, I've always been interested in podcasting, while back. it started off. I was listening to fitness related content on podcasts, and then I got into listening to oil and gas related podcasting. And I just the writing on the was on the wall for me, and I was like, "Podcasting is growing. I can see the consumer behavior happening around it. There isn't anything in oil and gas." But then once I stumbled upon oil and gas this week back in the day with Mark Lacour, they had one of the one of the only sort of original oil and gas podcasts. So I got involved with them. And then through the years, so they gave me an opportunity like at the end of 2018 as a host. And then I podcasted with them and it was really focused on upstream oil and gas technology. And they gave me, again, a huge platform. I was able to leverage their brand and their audience. So I was able to catapult myself into the podcasting space. They helped me tremendously get in more exposure, I invited to different events. So I really sucked into the podcasting world and just absolutely loved it. I'm in sales and business development on my day to day. And so naturally speaking, asking questions, communicating, telling a story, it was all very much familiar to me. And I was like, hell, I can, I'm doing this 24 seven anyways, I might as well do it, but just put it on the microphone and record it. And maybe if someone other than my mom wants to listen, then hell yeah, let's do it. It's, It's like everything. Once you get to a point where you've grown and you're, and you gain some confidence, it's like you start having ideas that don't necessarily maybe like align or just don't jive with who you're representing. And again, it's not like I was wanting to do things different than OGGN, but it was just like, I want creative control. I want to, if I want to podcast and have my own logo and I want to grow it and have people on that, I just wanted full control. And so I was like, hell, I talked to Mark LaCour and I was like, Hey, I want to go off on my own. Here's my vision behind it. And the genuine gentleman that Mark is, he was absolutely supportive of it. He said, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. So I started off on my own and it's been great. And part of going off on my own is the podcast I was doing was called oil and gas on shore. But since going to business school at the university of Colorado Denver business school, I got exposed to other forms of the energy industry, different verticals within energy, whether the renewables, the power, the utility, And so it it really opened my eyes to a lot of the sort of macro problems that we have within energy. So I wanted to have the ability and platform to talk to energy thought leaders about what it takes to not necessarily different technologies or on the micro scale, talk about different things, but I also wanted the opportunity to speak about things outside of oil and gas on a macro level. So whether it be policy or whether it be solar power or something like that, really to just have good constructive conversations and unite the energy industry and have conversations where regardless of what side of the fence you sit on, we could come and have good genuine conversations around energy and then scale that up into something that I could have where I've connected so many different people. And that's why I do it. I don't do it to sit on a pedestal and look at me, I'm having cool people come on my podcast. It's more like, hey, if you see someone that I have on my podcast and you want to get them, if you want to connect to them, then let me know. And I've had the many opportunities to connect people and whether that's turned into business or not, I just, I'm a super connector and that's part of it too. And so, yeah, it's been going well and I'm having fun doing it. That's
0: awesome, man. We, the more that I learn about you and the more we communicate just so many similarities that I appreciate and respect about you. Appreciate and, that. Of course, of course. And I was remiss. I didn't mention it's wicked energy with JG. So yeah. check out wicked energy with JG phenomenal <laughs> podcast focused on oil and gas industry, but you cover a wide range of topics. And the thing I like about your message is you're trying to make it not us versus them and we versus the problem, which, I mean, if you have some sense, you know, that is exactly what it's going to take to solve the energy crisis, not pointing fingers, blaming and have it R's and D's and that sort of thing. It's, Hey, here's the problem. We need cleaner energy. But we still need energy and we need a lot of it. And a lot of energy is better for a lot of people than a little bit of energy for a lot of people. So I appreciate that message in your podcast as well. Awesome. I appreciate that for sure, man. Yeah. So even though you're Canadian, you're essentially the American dream. So (laughs) I'm not sure where your current citizenship is, but just to, I I know a little bit of Justin's story. So I'll let you tell the details, but got into the industry straight out of high school, ended up working in the field for a while, going back to college, getting his degree, then went back working in the same industry. And then I don't want to, I don't want to give away the story, but if you could pick up the story from there, when you're building your home with your wife and then take us to how you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, man, I would say, I like to jokingly say is I'm the, a Canadian living the American dream and, but yeah, it's American dream. I don't know. What is that? It's defined differently by so many people, but I'd like to say I'm living the American dream. And, but yeah, so going back and when I was in my early twenties, like you said, so I got out of high school, worked drilling rigs, realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Went back to school at the advice of, of an onsite representative and said, Hey, if you want to be in, cause I asked the guy, I'm like, Hey, I don't want to be on the rigs my whole life, but if I am, I want to be the top guy. And he said, well, if you want to put in, be put in my shoes, go back to school. If not, you're going to be out here for the next 50 years. And I was like, yeah, screw that. I don't want to be out here for the rest of my life. In all respect to field folks, but it just wasn't me. And so I took this gentleman's advice and went back to school, then got hired on with Canadian Energy Services, which is known as CES Technologies now. And yeah, I got hired on. And when I got hired, they'd ask me, they'd say, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be in your shoes. I want to be the top dog. I'll do whatever it takes to get there. I'll move wherever you let me know. I'll do whatever it takes. And they said, okay, well, we like your ambition, kid, but let's see if you can actually prove yourself. You haven't even gotten a day in yet. So let's see if you can put your money where your mouth is. And so, yeah, they said, well, when can you start? I said, I've got, I mean, I can start right now if you want me to. And it was kind of that, like just young and eager to please. And so I got hired on. And my wife Nicole and I—we weren't married at the time. We, I think we were engaged, but we started building a home in Calgary. Finally, got out of college. She's got a good job with Canadian Natural Resources. I get a good-paying job. It's like, hey, let's let's start building a life together. And so we start building a home and living the Canadian dream, right? And uh, all of a sudden, the COO comes into my office one day, and he's like, "Hey, man," he's like, are "You are you eager this, this and that." He's like, "We recently purchased a company in the U.S. Would you ever consider moving to Pittsburgh? The Marcella, theres this thing called the Marcella Shale." If I think it's going to be a big deal. They need. There's going to be a lot of work. They get, they're going to need a lot of people, and it might be a good opportunity for you to get some exposure into the U.S. Because when I got hired, I said I always wanted to work overseas, but we didn't have any overseas work at the time. So being coming into the U.S. would have been the next best thing. And so I said, yeah, I said I'll pack my bags tonight. Like when do you want? When do you want me to be there? And he's like, well, let's just hold on. And he's like, but if you know this is something you're willing to do, like I need to know because this stuff is moving fast. I said, Ken hundred percent. I'm in, let's go. And so I went home that night and I was like, Hey babe, I'm like, yeah, so I think I'm going to be working in Pennsylvania in September. And she's like, what do you mean? you're gonna be wor- What? She's like, you must be crazy, man. Like you, okay, we're building this house. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about moving to Pennsylvania? Kind of like hit with a brick. Right. And, and I didn't like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. But she, of course, being the analytical type of person she is, and it's like, she needs a plan and this, this and that it was, it just didn't go over so well. So finally we have some conversations and this and that we finally come to terms. And so I'm like, look, I'll go, I'll travel back and forth and we'll sell the house. And so we ended up, so we, the house was probably 70% done. We put it up for sale and we actually ended up making money on it because at the time, between the time of me accepting that role and the time that we sold it, we had basically said, Hey, Like I told my employer, I said, Hey, I want to move into the U.S. I want to be there for the foreseeable future. There, there was some runway from a career perspective. My wife's family was originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. So it made sense. So we had basically committed ourselves. Okay. We're going to move into the U.S. And so I spent some years in Pennsylvania when the Marcellus shale hit, went to Texas for a little bit. We moved here, got a house. And then the same thing, I was actually working offshore and I got an opportunity to go to Denver. And of course I took the opportunity and then proceeded to tell my wife, hey, it looks like I'm going to be going to Denver, which, you know, again, flashbacks of her not real, not being too pleased. And I love her to death. She supported me through all of this, but she's like, okay, let's figure out how to make this work. So I went to Denver. This was 2012, 13. And then finally Kate made it back into Houston full-time towards the end of 2013. So yeah, I bounced around a little bit. And, and again, it's I'm a little more thoughtful on how I respond to different things before just jumping in. Now I have kids. And so I think, okay, what would my wife say? What would my kids think? Let me talk to them before just making these rash decisions. But anyway, that's bouncing around going from Canada to into the U.S. here. And yeah, now I'm in Houston full time. I travel all the time, but Houston is where the heart is for sure.
0: That is awesome. So- Now you're in Houston, right? And you said you got into podcasting in 2018. I assume now you have a lot of field experience. You understand the industry a lot better. And so if I understand your story correctly, then you start to consume fitness content. And then why don't you walk our listeners through how fitness content led you to wanting to create content in this space? And then we get into some of the brand conversation.
1: Yeah. So again, so I'll sort winding on that front. I did mention the, how I got into to podcasting, but before I started doing a podcasting and stuff, I was just working, didn't have any side hustles at the time. And I was always being at health and fitness. I love growing up. I played sports. That's basically what carried me through high school. And I always wanted to open up a gym and it's my passion. I love people. I love fitness I'm good at sales and I was like, this just seems like a natural fit for me. And in any sort of free time, I was always consuming health and fitness information. And it, it started back in the day in high school reading bodybuilding magazines and all the bro science shit. And then it led into me diving more into like science and stuff behind health and fitness. So again, just was very interested and passionate about all that stuff, I had developed a good relationship with a gentleman who I was going to start a gym with. And he said, Hey, he said, if you're interested, this is something I've been following, but go, there's these things called a podcast. And this was probably like 2015 He's check out barbell shrugged. And it's a a gentleman by the name of Mike Bled. So I think they were out of Memphis area. They started a podcast and each episode walked you through what it was like owning a CrossFit gym. And so like episode one is always in chronological order. Here's what you do. And here's, and I just was blown away by the amount of information they were providing for free. I was like, surely these guys could charge for it, but not understanding Well, and eventually understanding the bigger picture, but it was just like, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but he's all about jab, 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 right hook. He wrote the book. It's like, give, 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 then ask. And at the time I was like, these guys are giving so much information, which I thought was just insane. And coming to find out, it was like, oh, okay. I see what they're doing. They're building trust. They're building their brand. And, oh, now after a few years of providing all this information, they have something to sell. Well, of course, you've given me so much. Now I'm going to buy and return the favor. So I saw the sort of towards the end of what they're doing. But regardless, I found it just extremely interesting on how much information they're providing. And so I spent a lot of time. And if you're in Houston, you're driving a lot. I was on the road a lot. And so I transitioned from always listening to music to listening to these barbell shrug guys. And then I was just like, one thing leads to the next, they interview someone, oh, that person has a podcast. So then I just started consuming all these podcasts. And I started listening to business podcasting. And then one day I was like, man, I spend so much time listening to podcasting. Why don't I listen to information related to my career, oil and gas. So when naturally I type in oil and gas podcast, and that's when oil and gas this week, which was a which is, I mean, they're still going, it's a weekly oil and gas sort of news update. So you can, their motto is a way to For oil field professionals to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry which is true they come up with some high level news articles they discuss them and again it was cool i was like oh i keep up with what's going on in the industry and and at that point i just saw podcasting growing more people were bringing out podcasts different companies and people and like influencers and so i was like man i gotta get in on this podcasting stuff it's just so exciting it's new and it's growing. And I want to ride this wave or catch this lightning in a bottle somehow. And especially in oil and gas, because there was, there was a ton of health and fitness ones. There was, there was a ton of like storytelling ones. There's a ton of just general business ones. And there just wasn't too much on the oil and gas. So I reached out to Mark. Actually, I reached out to Jake Corley, who was with them at the time. And they were looking for, for sponsorships for their happy hours, because they started doing monthly happy hours. And I was like, Hey, I'm young in the industry. I love what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I could draw a pretty good crowd. And I also want to sponsor uh, one of your guys' happy hours, but they were so busy at the time. They didn't have any availability left. And so Mark said, look, we're looking for, we're trying to build on our podcasting platform and, and bring in different types of podcasts into, to add to the oil and gas this week. Why don't you let's grab lunch? So I was like, okay. So we went and had lunch. And he said, Hey, look, do you want to sponsor a show? And of course I'm such a yes, man. I'm like, yeah, where do we sign up? And he's like, Oh, why don't you bring your marketing manager in? Cause there's a cost associated with it. And I was like, Oh, I'm sure it's not a big deal. So I bring him in and it just didn't at the time, it didn't really align with what we were trying to do from a marketing perspective, which respectfully understood just didn't make sense at the time, which was okay. But then Mark said, Hey, why don't we grab lunch? You and I just separately. He's like, I just want to offer up something to you. And he was like, hey, I think you'd make for a good host. He's like, yeah, if it doesn't make sense for you guys to sponsor a show, would you ever consider having your own show? And before that, I was like super close. I had done all the research. I think I even bought in some microphones because I was want to start a fitness and a health and fitness podcast for like corporate professionals and just trying to talk about health and fitness for people that don't have time to be in a gym 24-7. You know what I mean? So I said, like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm in. Where do I sign up? And he was like, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I'm a drilling guy. I said, I can talk about drilling. And he said, well, why don't you keep it a little more broad? Why don't you do like oil and gas onshore?" I was like, okay, that's fine. And yeah, it just kind of head off from there. And because I already had a pretty large network, I just started recording conversations with people within the industry and and that's basically how it took off. And that was a long answer to a short question. So I'm sorry.
0: No, this is perfect. As you know, these are the kind of guests you hope for, right? I'm teeing you up and you're knocking them down. This is working perfect. Keep <laughs> keep on keeping on. So one thing I want to circle back in about your story. I'm similar to you in taking a lot of risks, doing a lot of things, going after what I want. And then now I have a three-year-old and a seven-month-old and that's been completely flipped on its head.
1: So I, know all I too can well, understand.
0: Man. Yes, you're like oh, dang it, I have to like support this family now. I can't really just randomly do things. This great wife that I have that tags along, yeah, she's now a mama
1: bear and she treats those decisions a little different now. Here's what my thought around that too is I always say you need to be selfish before you can be selfless. You can't pour from an empty cup, Matt. So you got to do things for yourself too. It's not, it's it is all about everyone else, but you also need to take care of yourself too. So don't forget that.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: I don't, oh, yeah.
0: I, uh, I can be selfish from time to time. So right I now it's good for you. <laughs> yes. Got to be from time to time. Exactly. I want to drill down more into your story and talk about brands and whatnot, but I, yeah. I want to book it right now. I want to have another conversation with you about, yeah crafts in the field. So I want to talk just about what it was like to be an oil worker. I want to talk a little bit about construction. And I think that we have another shared passion around getting people into the skilled trades. So I think we that this would be too long of an episode to have that conversation now. But Leisha, our producer who's phenomenal, please market, book it, and let's meet with Justin again about that.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to, man. Yeah, we can talk about all sorts of random shit, man. Yeah. We can
0: have lots of fun. All right. Now let's talk more about brands. In 2018, you're getting into podcasting and your company, it wasn't the right thing for them to be able to do at the time. Was that which, indicative of the industry where people were just like, hey, what is this type of thing? We're not interested in that. Or do you think that was like your own company thing?
1: Uh, No, it was definitely a combination of two. But I do want to say I, I want to compliment the company who I work for because we actually ended up doing. So we took the idea and then started our own. So we started the Flowline, which is a drilling fluids oh, nice. podcast. So they didn't completely shit on it. They were very accepting of it, but they didn't want to throw up the money to sponsor something without understanding the ROI. So instead, we just started our own, which in my opinion was a better sort of, that was a better decision in the long run.
0: Absolutely, so, you own the IP but, and...
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But to tie it back, it was, A, no one was doing it. We're an oilfield field service company. There was no one in that space that was doing it. Plus the sponsorship fees that OGG and we're getting were pretty hefty relative to anything that we were spending on marketing so it was just like let's be a little cautious because I'm not sure if this is the best use of our dollars at the time which from a business perspective you have to be careful and you don't just want to throw money at something if you're not really familiar with what it is and so it was a combination of we would have been like super early adopters and is this the best use of our marketing dollars And then, yeah, just oil and gas in general is like, do we really want to put ourselves out there? Do we want to tie ourselves to certain organizations? Like it was just this unfamiliar territory. And so let's rethink this and maybe take it into a different direction, which is why we started our own podcast. And so, yeah, it's, it's just like with anything, oil and gas traditionally is very reluctant to expose ourselves or to put ourselves out there, right? We're very much the dark horse. We just, we work hard. We don't put ourselves out there. And this is historically speaking. Now it's a little different, but- Back then, it was just, it, we were still very conservative, for lack of a better term.
0: Where do you think that changed? Because we were talking a little bit before we hit record about how my perception is that oil and gas is further ahead than other blue collar legacy industries that are relationship-based. I think that's, at least in my opinion, that's some of the hangup I see where people look at a B2C company and they say, Mm. that doesn't work for us. Yeah, that is right. If you're trying to convert a project from a website, it's probably not going to work. But if you're trying to build and strengthen relationships and influence the conversation, this is definitely a place that it can be done. And my experience is that oil and gas is already down that path. Do you feel the same way?
1: And when do you think that really started to pick up steam? No, it's actually it's a very interesting question, and I was telling you before. Super excited to hear someone like yourself from the outside looking in that we're, I guess, say like leading in that arena because for so long we haven't like marketing, and I guess a lot of like industrial type industries are are too much like blue collar. We're not on social media trying to be fancy and this and that. It's like just get your hands dirty, do the work, make good money, and that's enough is enough, right? Like we don't try and do all that foo foo BS, which. You know, marketing for a long time, a lot of the stuff that you saw, we'd look at and be like, that's just a waste of money. So to answer your question, the oil and gas industry went through, and I think is still going through this digital revolution. For a long time, we spent a lot of time building business on, on spreadsheets. And we were very much traditional in the way we handled business. And our marketing was very much conferences and putting ourselves in World Oil Magazine. And we did a lot of what got us to where we were. Right, and it was just like we're going to do more conferences, and we're going to put up more booths, and this and that. But then what happens? Kind of at the same time, and I want to say probably 2014, 16, when the when the downturn hit, or one of the recent downturns, there was a lot of emphasis in companies that kind of popped out of the woodworks that knew that oil and gas there was a large market to capture on the digitalization of the oil field. And so a lot of those companies that came in, a lot of them were from say Austin, a lot of them were from California. A lot of people started looking and peeking in and say. These oil and gas people have a lot of money. They spend a lot of money on dumb shit. Why don't we get a piece of this? And so you started seeing an influx of companies that were non-traditional oil and gas sort of technology companies. And they were the ones that sort of spurred creating interesting content. The memes started almost like disrupting the branding space within oil and gas. And a company that, that I'm close with, the founders of Digital Wildcatters they came out hot and heavy with creating content and debunking and almost making fun of our own industry. Started creating memes about a lot of shale companies being a bunch of dumpster fires and everything. And so that everyone was just like, what are these people doing? And so a combination of that, and then you started seeing guys like David Ramson Wood started coming out and speaking his mind. And so people started, and then on Twitter, there was Energy FinTwit, which there was a bunch of people on there started creating content. So there was a bunch of like internal voices within the industry started speaking out and creating content around a lot of the problems that us as an industry put ourselves into and that's where content generation started and for me it was cool because there was finally people speaking out and doing things that were out of the norm and then on top of that you started seeing people spending more money on marketing outside of outside of the traditional space because the big conferences like OTC and a lot of these drilling conferences, a lot of these just conferences that were continuously happening, they had a pretty steady decline rate in attendance. And it's like, where's the underpriced attention? And it wasn't at these conferences anymore. And it wasn't because people, the digital age technology, people started, the town square of LinkedIn started becoming more relevant. And so people started understanding. And this is where I, like my first piece of content that really started blowing up, I think was Christmas of 2018 I made a silly video wishing everyone a merry christmas and then it got a bunch of traction and I just was blown away on the organic reach that it had on LinkedIn and I was reluctant right I'm like LinkedIn's like for posting jobs trying to get jobs and here I'm just going to take a selfie video because at the time no one was making selfie videos on LinkedIn <laughs> so I made a selfie video and uh just I, like literally was standing at my desk and a guy crossed the hallway from me. His nickname was Bobcat. I was like, hey, Bobcat, come here, grab my phone. And He was like, OK. And so he took my phone. And, I was, and so I said, I just, everyone at AES, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And, you know, it took off. And it was funny because when we had our Christmas party, the CEO flew down. and I was like, hey, I was like, and because he even caught wind of this video. He's like, what this video you sent? He's like, apparently people are talking about it because I made it goofy and I put on like a real thick Canadian accent. And I showed him, I was like, man, look at this. I was like, this is how many views it has. And then I, cause I had LinkedIn professional or whatever, the LinkedIn navigator. And so I could look at some of the analytics and he was like, holy shit. He's like, we need to put that on the website. And so it was this epiphany of your, and then so it was like companies re, that the video was, re, or like companies that have witnessed your video or whatever, right? And it was like yeah. Exxon and Chevron. And so it was just like, oh my God, like how much did this cost you? And I was like, zero dollars. And so I was like, aha, this is okay. Now I'm on to something here. So then I just that was what like started off the content creation space for me. That's fascinating. I have
0: I have a similar story, but it was more directly related to business development. So I another thing we can circle back to is I became interested in marketing when I was actually in environmental health and safety because uh. They're always trying to influence the culture on a project. And it's so like you go to a project, everyone's on their phone. No one's looking at the signs you hang up. So it's, like, Hey, yeah. do you want to try and get them to read this sign? Or maybe we can just put it where they already are. We were able to influence the culture in a measurable way. Cause we measured culture surveys from social media ads. It was like, Oh, this is super interesting. Then when I was in business development, still doing it like from the company thing. So not really understanding the personal side of it. The company I worked at had a high margin training program. And if you could get it well attended, it not only paid for itself, it was a nice margin opportunity, but then it typically led to some volume of work with the customers that came to the event, came to the training. How do we we get more people to come in this way? Hey, we can create this little video series. So did that still from the company thing that was successful, but where I saw the power in it was I just, I started posting terrible content, absolutely terrible content. But at the same time, I had just got into business development. So everyone has this territory. And I'm like, I don't know anybody except for the people that are out there actually executing the projects that we're selling. But I need to learn who the people are that are actually making these decisions. And so I just started connecting with people on LinkedIn and way less people were on LinkedIn than especially on the customer side. Think when, of- What year was that? This was around 2018, same time frame. So think of Detroit Edison, AEP, those kind of companies. They just weren't, people weren't as much on there. But one of the things I had noticed was when I would post something, even when I was connecting with these people, even though they never posted, never commented, never said anything, my customers were always the highest people that viewed my content. And so I was like, okay, this must just be like a thing where people, or they're scrolling through it. You're getting that scroll by. And then where it really clicked for me was there were, I was at a single, I was at a conference of three different people that I know that I'd connected with on LinkedIn because that's the only way I knew them, thought they had met me before. yeah. They were like, no, no, we no we know each other. We met at, I can't remember quite where. And so then I'm arguing, like, no, I actually connected with you on LinkedIn. And then I'm like, what are you doing, idiot? Let them think whatever they want to think. And so yeah, that yeah. <laughs> was the first, oh, wow, this is really powerful. And this can be, this can be a way to be able to communicate with people and in, in, Influence these conversations, even when it doesn't look like they're online in the way that you would assume they would be to be interacting. Fascinating to hear. I love your. I like your story a lot better. I didn't make some cool video or do anything like that, but I posted really
1: generic crap. But the intent and the outcome is the same, right? It's like regardless of what you posted, you just started posting shit, and then you understood that there was value in it, and you started connecting the dots, and it was just like, okay, if I continue to do this, a there's there's essentially no money spent, and how can I get in front of the eyeballs of people who I want to get in front of at scale? And the only way to do that is through social media and creating content. And so you understood that and you kept doing it. And clearly the ROI has been there for you. So it's the same thing, man. And people, a lot of people have done it and there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it, but the ones who I think separate themselves from a lot, and especially so in sales and business development, like every cold call I make now is not a cold call. They're like, Oh yeah, you're a, the podcast guy or, Oh, you're this guy or, Oh, I saw you on LinkedIn. And so for that reason alone, it's if all else equal, if, a cold call is being made by me or one of my competitors that they don't know, there's a good chance that they're going to at least open the door and let me have a conversation with them because they already know who I am and the amount of shit that I put on LinkedIn or whatever else. They're like, Oh, I already know this guy. And if I kind of like him, at least I'm going to give him a shot. You know what I mean? It's like, it just increases your odds. And at, for what cost again, a little bit of time. And most of the time it's, When I can't be doing anything else.
0: I see people get tripped up because they try and create just in time content all the time. And that is difficult. But if you have some mechanism or process to be able to capture ideas, capture thoughts and develop content in a specific time, it's it's not that it's easy, but it's easier than it is if you just try and post daily. Like I tell
1: people, what's your goal? Post daily. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. No, I have fun. You're
0: gonna spend an hour and fifteen minutes
1: a day. It's yeah, no, I agree with you. That and that could be a whole nother topic in itself is how to like actually create regular content. But anyway, I digress. I want to keep the ball rolling. Oh, let's talk about
0: Gary V real quick. Cause you had mentioned Gary V, and hmm. he actually is the, he is the first person that I started consuming content. I really liked his energy. I liked his message. I liked how he was very direct with people too, about being too sensitive. You're like, Hey, you need to look at yourself and then look at growing. it was just, I gravitated to his message before I gravitated to anything that was around marketing, but then yeah. it also exposed me to marketing. Was he one of the first ones that you started to consume?
1: Is there anything that you learned from him? I don't know if he'd be one of the first, but I would say the volume of content that I've consumed from any individual is the highest coming from him. It's just, I think he, it's, I find it fascinating. A, I love his story. And what I do like about him is he puts out so much actionable content for free. And a lot of it revolves around the same thing. He doesn't pretend like he knows more than he does if you've consumed him for any length of time or you look at all of his videos the messaging is all the exact same he just says it in different ways for different people and to communicate but yeah i think there's so much to be learned from a guy like him and he to me is going to go down as one of the most successful slash unique entrepreneurs of our lifetime and most people think of him as a motivational speaker but if you dive deep back enough he's been an operator and a business owner and just a hardworking. Entrepreneur's entire life. And he uses the Gary Vee sort of like public image as a way to build his brand. And the reasons he does it are for the very much reasons why we're all doing it is to build that reputation, to build trust. And it's to give more than you take. But then when you ask for something, chances are people are going to give it to you. And so that's his motto. And then what I also like about it is there's a lot of other very successful entrepreneurs out there. And it's all about the hustle and it's like, take what's yours and fuck everyone else. And but what I can appreciate about his approach is he has like a deep level of empathy and kindness. And he wants to prove to the world that like, you can be like a sharp edged or like a sharp elbowed businessman, but shake hands with your competitors and spread like love and kindness to everyone. Cause what he says all the time is he's saying, if if you think someone else's winnings are coming out of your pocket, then you've already lost. There's (laughs) so much to be had for everyone out there. And, um, And then he talks about like self-esteem and confidence. And so anyway, I just really align with that. And being that he is someone like his family came in from overseas and sort of the immigrant grunt grind and everything else. I just, I very much enjoy it. And there's a lot of people who put out good content out there, but again, I think what he's building and then on top of that, he's building a bunch of IP with his NFT projects and he's building these figures and he wants to get into movies and it's just, again, I just think it's a neat story. At the end of the day, don't get me wrong. It motivates the crap out of me to listen to him speak and stuff like that. It gets me fired up. And oftentimes if I'm listening to him, it'll inspire me to post something. And yeah. even at that, I'm like, man, you know what? Yeah, I'll post something. And to your point. Yeah. I think he he puts out so much good information and he never asks for anything in return. Yeah. You can buy like his NFTs or you can buy maybe some of his merchandise, but he doesn't have some silly eBooks out there or Like I've spent more money on things that, and I learned a lot less than what I've learned for free from him.
0: I'm hundred percent with you. And the thing I like when he does put his stuff out there, he understands the products that he's pushing really well. I think this whole Bitcoin situation and FTX situation really highlighted some of the things that influencers did a poor job of. Even people like Tom Brady and Jake Paul and some of those guys, just some of the kim kardashian you see where i like to think that they don't they weren't ill intended they were just ignorant maybe Mm -hmm. they were ill intended but i don't think so but you can see how you can get in that trap where he but like empathy wines his nft all that stuff he understands
1: deeply well and he he's doing it for a reason right and what i can appreciate too is he's always do your research and anyone who's in it for the quick bag is going to ultimately suffer and be pain because a lot of people are so short-sighted and so they do things for instant gratification this whole ftx thing is i think a lot of people wanted to jump on and catch this lightning in a bottle this whole sort of bitcoin nft sort of blockchain craze that hit yeah everyone was trying to say hey i want to get i want to get a part of this without truly understanding and i'm sure some people did their research some didn't shit happens but for the most part uh People saw the sort of the, the board Eight Yacht Club and that huge, like, bull market of NFTs during COVID. And everyone and their dog wanted a piece of it. And me <laughs> included. I actually lost money on the NFT game. I started creating them. I got roped into I didn't lose like millions of dollars. I yeah. lost like a couple thousand, I think, altogether. But for me, it was, it was like kind of tuition for me. Like I was spending More. money knowing, okay, I want to learn. And if I lose this money, then so be it. And I did. And, but I learned a ton and I was interested in it, and so it is what it is, but yeah. What's funny
0: to me is, so as I've gotten more into marketing and made this my skill and trade that I focus on and try and develop and get better at every day, I've started to look at other marketers from different industries and start to consume their content. And it's interesting to me how many sophisticated marketers just shit all over Gary Vee. And it's comical Hmm. for me to listen to some of the stuff that they say, because it's like, you're completely missing the point. He's not out here trying to say that this is a comprehensive digital marketing strategy, and this is the most sophisticated way to do it. It's comical to listen to them just crap all over it when the stuff he does obviously works. And it works better than 99% of the people that are crapping all over him, but then they still want to go there. And then I've experienced the, a large portion of the marketing industry to be cynical and people just do not like him because he's positive. And I'm like, that's uh, why you don't like him because he's positive. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. I can see looking if, and again, I don't have any formal marketing experience at all, but I can see if, because marketing. And again, I took one course in business school on marketing and it's, yeah. I didn't realize there's such a science. Right. And it's not like marketing doesn't equal just content. There's so <laughs> much more to it. And so if you were to look at him, it's, oh, okay. He's this like loudmouth dude from New York who all you want, all he's telling people to do is create content. Like clearly there's more to marketing than just creating content and there's a science behind it. And I think, but he's got a, I mean, he's got several companies, but I think one of his companies is a media agency. And I would imagine if a company like Pepsi and all these big companies that hire him, I'm sure that like, it's not just a one page document that says post content. Like I'm sure there's very (laughs) much like strategy and science and like the true marketing aspect. But for him, that's his message. And he's going to stick to it for to people to to look down on it. Maybe the things he is doing aren't working, but at the end of the day, you can't knock it until you try it. Right. And for me, creating content aside from Gary V or not, I started creating content before I started listening to him, but the content piece, I think, especially now, and as we move forward in an age where more and more eyeballs are glued to our phones and screens, is content is extremely valuable. And if done the right way can provide some serious ROI. Absolutely. So the industries that I serve are like oil and gas
0: was in twenty eighteen when you first started, where people Uh, are putting marketing budgets in a specific area that isn't necessarily yielding the results. And now they're looking at transitioning or they're either exploring it or they're just becoming aware that their customers are spending time in different places and they need to adapt. What was the biggest lesson you learned over that journey?
1: Okay. So it's so again, I want to tie it back to it's about communicating your message, right? And marketing is about messaging. And building a brand and doing that because for so long, oil and gas romanticized about what got in there in the first place. And again, it was the traditional forms of marketing. And the challenge was, is we felt like we always had such leverage. It was like, you need us. We don't need to adapt. We don't need to do things different. We're going to drill and produce energy because regardless if you like us or not, we're going to be there. And we're just going to do the same shit we always have. We're going to communicate the same way. It's going to be us against you. But then came along, oh, now there's going to be policy and there's going to be incentives to replace fossil fuels. Even investors are starting to pull money away. And it was like, uh oh, now we need to change our tune. We need to change the way we communicate so that people don't, for the rest of the world, outside of people within our own industry, we need to gain some confidence. We need to build some loyalty. We need to build some trust. And so people started building brands that a you could attract talent because no one like a lot of the petroleum engineering programs the amount of attendance was dropping over time year over year and just less and less people wanted to join the industry we need to revamp our branding to become more attractive so that we can attract a lot of the some of the best talent in the world and then on top of that it was really it just came down to building trust amongst the general population because if Mm -hmm. not then everything that we're doing and everything that we're trying to accomplish is just going to become even more of an uphill battle than it already is. And so there was the need to focus on engagement with community and reach and really being recognized as good stewards of energy supply. And that was one of the things that I think a lot of companies started realizing, well, you can't do that at a conference once every quarter. You know what I mean? It's you got to constantly put your message out there and remain relevant to people And it's like, I always say, unless you're creating content or awareness around your messaging, you become irrelevant. And as soon as we become irrelevant in our own space, then we're just the tidal wave of, of what's being put up against us is just going to grow more and more. And so understanding, like we need to build that loyalty amongst people is we need to build our brand. We need to rebrand. We need to. And so if you look at back in the day, say call it when the shell revolution was happening to where we're at now a lot of companies rebranded themselves as just energy companies. We're getting away from like the traditional oil and gas. You're starting to see the messaging change to cater to such a broader audience. And now that we've done that, we've gained, and I would like to say we've gained a bit more trust amongst a lot of people. It's still a challenge, but the conversations that we're having are a lot different as well it's not just you can't just go out with a marketing campaign and change your logo and say a few different things in a press conference but even just the conversations and the brand that people are representing the conversations that we're having with people who don't necessarily agree with the oil and gas industry like it takes everything not just a few billboards and a fancy youtube video you know what i mean so it's an all-encompassing package
0: Yeah, that's interesting the way that you describe that journey and what sparked the journey. And that's probably the missing piece in just engineering and construction generally. There hasn't been that need to create brands. If there was a need to be able to create brands, I think the. The places that you would do it becomes more obvious. But if it you does. think that your brand is already known and there's no need to really grow a brand to a new audience, then you're okay doing your traditional, Hey, let's go to events. Let's worry about proposals. And then yeah. this content, digital marketing stuff, we'll just, we'll hire some 20 year old to do that. They'll do fine.
1: Yeah. Well, to, to your point, and I don't know if you're experiencing this in your industry, but in oil and gas, they call this the big crude change, or there's a lot of names for it, but what we saw too, which kind of helped make the it kind of was a catalyst to this was there was a lot of the sort of the original generation, the baby boomers that were retiring out of oil and gas. And then there was a huge gap. And then there was like a small sort of chunk of generation like myself that are in it. And so you have these, because of how cyclical it is, you have periods of times where people aren't entering the space. And then you have people joining the space, depending on oil price, where we're at in that cycle. But in order for us to attract talent and attract the younger generation. Because, you know, starting, let's call it 2015 till now, a lot of people are getting into data science or wanting to go work for the Amazons, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, like whatever. Because of that push and because of that, that the behavior of people's sort of goals and aspirations, we had to create environments and brands that people were attracted to. So I remember when BP went up to Denver, they built one of the first sort of like trendy techy looking offices and a bunch of people wanted to go work in denver for bp and maybe not even real re- realizing it but like they were attracting talent because of their location their office their little amenities i mean yeah. you, when i went in there for the first time i felt like i was walking into like a silicon valley tech company and it was really cool and hip and they had these cool coffee machines and people were walking around with jeans like Running shoes, and I was like, ah, okay. And even that is building the brand, yeah. and, and even that stuff, it's and I'll come. You can tie in culture into all of this too, and all that. But ultimately, it's yeah, not everyone and their dog wants to go into oil and gas to make much money, because the reality is there's a lot of industries out there now that you can make just as much, if not more, or you can work at McDonald's and have a side hustle on your phone and make some good <laughs> internet money, and you can make just as much as a guy going to West Texas and working a drilling rig. It's yeah. how are you going to freaking attract people? Unless you create a brand that people are, that are tied to and feel connected to emotionally, aside from just "f you and you need us and we're not going anywhere, like you're not going to attract young generation by seeing that by messaging that way, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I definitely a problem with all of my customers around that same subject. It's you hear a lot of conversation around people are lazy. I don't experience that necessarily. I'm sure there is that, but the young people that I meet are, More motivated. They know more at 22 than I did at 32. It's incredible when you talk to some of these kids and the vision that they have and what they're trying to build, what they're trying to do. And so I don't think that they've become lazier. I think the bar for them to want to do something has gotten higher. So if you want to attract them, you have to meet that bar. And if you can't, you're going to continue to miss out on talent and going to be in a bad situation.
1: Yeah. And it, yeah, the people that are lazy are just simply not doing what they want to be doing. So it's understand <laughs> your people, Yeah, your people are all motivated by something. And yes. so it's like, just because someone was motivated, you know, how we were like, again, generations are all motivated differently. So clearly, you don't understand the generation that's coming up because they are motivated, but people don't take the time to understand them. they just complain about them, which is funny, because the people who are complaining about them are the ones who raised them. It's
0: like The the father of two young kids. I think about that often. I think we have a lot more to learn from you and the industry around brands. And I know I can learn some things around podcasting too. So we'll definitely have to connect offline and on air again. Why don't you leave us here with your best routine or habit,
1: man? So for me, again, coming back to health and fitness, I get up, I get up at four 30 during the week every day, unless I'm traveling, but for me, it's getting up. I'll take my, uh, take my supplements in the morning nothing crazy, just stuff for health and longevity. And then I get my workout in. And for me, if I win the morning, I win the day. Um, And for me, that's extremely important. Even on weekends, if I just get up and try and start working or get up and start doing something, I don't know. I've gotten so accustomed to spiking my heart rate in the morning and getting those endorphins going that if I don't get the blood pumping in the morning, I just feel like I I just have, it's hard for me to really get going. And so for me, that kind of sets me up for success because I feel like I'm fired up. I'm ready to attack the day. And then aside from that, like I'm very much like a I have to write sort of a list of things that I need to prioritize because I have so many things that I'm trying to do. So unless I kind of know, okay, there's three things that I that are like absolutely critical that I accomplished today. And if I don't get to those, it's like unacceptable. But it's typically yeah, workout, make sure I write a few things down that I need to accomplish. And then there's a, I have a task list that never ends, but always making sure that I at least I attack three things that keep me moving forward in the right direction. And then besides that, it's just, yeah. And actually, I don't know, this is something I wake up and I don't know if I've told too many people, but I don't know where I got this from, but whenever I wake up, the first sort of thing that I tell myself in the morning is I will treat this day with love in my heart. And I don't know where I got that from, but it just puts me in the right frame of mind. And Mm. so I say that I get up, hit the gym and get after it.
0: I love that man. That's the most unique response we've had. No, honestly, we asked cool. we've asked that question from the last season because we have yeah. a lot of leaders on here and I think it's beneficial for anyone to hear how other leaders are successful. And yeah. but that is that's a unique that's a unique answer. I really enjoy that affirmation. Cool. Justin, want to thank you again. Really appreciate you being on this podcast. If you made it to the, this far into the episode, you obviously have enjoyed Justin. Check <laughs> out Wicked Energies with JG, phenomenal podcast, great episode, ranging topics, interview some top-notch leaders. You learn a lot about oil and gas. You also learn about, a lot about the leader. You're just more informed. So check out Wicked Energies with JG. And
1: thanks again for being with us, Justin. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. And thanks for everyone listening. And yeah, appreciate all the love. Happy 2023. And to everyone out there.